I invite you into a time of prayer this evening. And at the end of this prayer, we'll, we'll pray together the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And the words for that will be on the screen. I'll invite you to join me in that. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you today. We feel like we've kind of blown into this, into this place, some of us, just from the, from the busyness of life. Some of us feel like we've blown into this place because we've, we've had our eyes fixed on the things of this world. And God, when we look at the things of this world, what it looks to us right now is it looks like chaos in so many ways, in so many places. It's out of our control, like fires raging, literally like fires raging and in, in war and pain and death. And God, we, you know that we live in this existence and you know that we need a fresh wind from you. We need a fresh wind, God. We need a fresh wind in this land. We need a fresh wind in this room. We need a fresh wind in our, in our hearts. And so we remember that your word tells us that in the beginning, there was chaos. And you, God, the creator of everything, breathed over the waters of chaos and you created life. So God, we pray that you would do that right now. Breathe. We need a fresh wind from you, God. Breathe life into us as we gather around your word as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, again, my name is Mark, and it is so great to be with you. Thank you for being a part of this series that we've been in for, for the last month here at Providence Church, this comeback series. And one thing that's happened over the last several weeks is what we've, been, we've hit really hard on this truth that our God is a God who wants to be with us. Not only did he create us, but he wants to be with us. And our God is a God who, who is in our corner with us. And our God is a God who loves underdog stories. We've, we've heard about all of these things in this series. And we've been challenged to consider that for us, a comeback is actually possible. So we might be in this room coming back from very different things, but we're coming back to a God who wants to give us power and purpose and life and strength for what lies ahead. Philippians 1 says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. Well, how do you do that? With the power and the strength that God offers us through Jesus Christ. And it seems like God actually wants us to have the comeback kind of story. Like if God is telling our story, the great storyteller is telling our story, he wants it to be a comeback story. So I ask you tonight, what's defining your story right now? Like, are you, are you living a tragedy, a suspense thriller? <laughs> are you living a comeback victory kind of story in your life? Well, here's what I hope for us. I hope that we are moving 
towards, together towards the comeback victory kind of story. But you might be wondering today, what about the big mess up? Like, what about, what about that big sin that nobody likes to talk about? I think it's amazing how many of us walk around assuming that everybody else's sins, those are forgivable, but the thing that I've got, the thing that I'm carrying around cannot be forgiven. Everything's forgivable except for my sin, right? Well, this month, our guide for maneuvering a comeback has been David, a guy who knows something about colossal mess-ups in his life. Yeah, he was a great king of Israel. We've told that story. He was a warrior. He was a hero. But like the conversations that take place after a funeral, you know what I'm talking about? Like we're going to get real about David tonight. Like at the funeral, we say all the really nice things, as we should, in, in the service, right? But then afterwards, like, all that was true. But you know, <laughs> there's some complicated factors here, right? There's some other things. Just like, like all of us, we, have, we live complex lives and complex stories. And we'll say, you know, he wasn't perfect. He made some, actually, he made some really huge mistakes. He didn't always speak kindly <laughs> to other people, right? Well, today we're learning about a comeback from a dark period of sin in David's life. It's like the murder mystery section of his life without the mystery part. It's like just, just the murder. Okay, like, sorry for the spoiler right there, but it's, there's a murder that is about to take place in David's story. The story for some of you will be a, a familiar story. And if you're like a linear kind of thinker, I'm gonna drive you bonkers here for a few minutes. So sorry about that, but stick with me. Um, I, I wanna track something with you. We're, we're going to start at what could be called the low point in David's story and David's life. And then we're gonna work backwards a little bit. So kind of starting from the ending in a sense, you okay with that approach? Well, let's try it. All right, so we'll start off with this egregious act of murder that was indirectly committed by David. So he didn't actually do it. He didn't, didn't physically kill the person, but he created the situation. He set it up. He asked for it to happen. So here we are. We find him corresponding with Joab, the leader of David's army. It says, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Here's what's in the letter. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Who's David having killed? Uriah. Who's he using to carry the message for, of his like death sentence? U Uriah, right? Like how twisted is that <laughs> of David, right? David had this man carrying out his own sealed death notice and then had him killed. Why? Why did he, why, why the murder? Because Uriah's wife was pregnant. Why was Uriah's wife pregnant? Let's back it up a little bit more. Because David had committed adultery. Here it is. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers, messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. So Uriah the Hittite was the husband of Bathsheba, whom David had had an affair with, and now she was pregnant. All right, so we're kind of backing into this. Why, why did David have an affair with Bathsheba? It kind of says, it kind of alludes to the idea that it was because she was beautiful. It says in the passage that points out that she was beautiful. So for generations, this has, this, this is kind of how it's been talked about many, many times. 
that this is the reason why the affair happens because she was beautiful, but her beauty is not a good reason for an affair. Can we agree on that, right? Her beauty was not a good reason for an affair. The reason for the affair was David's uncontrolled lust, right? So he's up, up high, his palace was up high, he could see down over the city, and he looked at her bathing from his rooftop, and he wanted her for himself. And David's the king, king gets what he wants, right? So right here, that's usually as far back as we track David's sin in this story. But there's at least one more question I think that we need to ask. Why was David walking on the roof of his palace that day? Nobody ever asked that question. Why was he walking on the roof of his palace? Well, it turns out that David on that day was supposed to be somewhere else. David was shirking his responsibilities as the king. Back up another verse. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows that springtime is when kings go off to war, right? They, like War was seasonal back then. War is not seasonal anymore. But kings go off to war in the spring and David is at home. When you're the king, you go to battle with your army, right? You don't always have to be out front, but you need to go with them, right? That's what David used to do. Do you remember? Like this is the same guy who volunteered to take down the giant. All the other, the rest of the army was kind of hanging back, kind of seeing what was going to happen. And this little guy comes up with a slingshot and he volunteers to take down the giant. He goes to the front line. This is the guy who fought off bears and lions to protect his sheep. And now he chose to stay home. And here's how I picture him. I picture him in flip-flops for sure. He's <laughs> sitting on his couch. It says bed. Okay, bed couch. He's clicking through a hundred channels of terrible television. You know how that feels. Like you can't find anything on TV. And then he becomes so bored, he tosses the remote and he walks up to the roof of his palace. I'm adding a little bit of modern day to that, but clearly, clearly he was bored. So he's walking around in his palace because he he's, he's, uh, doesn't know what to do. Author Erwin McManus says, one of the most dangerous places to stand is where you were never supposed to be in the first place. The point is, he was where he wasn't supposed to be and everything fell apart. If he had been standing instead on the battlefield, none of this would have happened. So what's happened to David? Like we've been following this guy. He was a pretty, pretty cool kid, pretty cool warrior guy. What's going on with David in this moment? The pure heart of a shepherd boy had given into the trappings of the power that he had been given once he became king. Did you know that power changes people? Power can affect, affect it happens to all of us. It's, it's why we're constantly disappointed in our leaders. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. It's a common story. It happens over and over again. So we've kind of tracked David's sin backwards. We could actually do the same exercise in our own lives. When we've made a terrible decision that has hurt others, we can ask, well, why did I do that? <laughs> why was I there? Was I where I was supposed to be in that moment? And I think it's a really good practice. I think we can figure some things out, but then what? What, what after we have tracked it back like to this point in David's story? See, the whole Jesus story compels us not to stay in that place. Like we figured it out and we stay there because every story of the Bible is ultimately a Jesus story. 
And a Jesus story is a comeback story. Every Jesus story has a redemptive ending just waiting to unfold. Do you feel that in your life, like followers of Christ? Do you, do you feel like there's, there's something that is still waiting to unfold because you're living a Jesus story? If you don't feel it in your story, just wait. It's there for you. So let's get there with David. We've been kind of wallowing around in David's sin here for a few minutes. Uh, we have to go back to where we started, okay? So Uriah has just been killed. And then several months of time pass. And then the prophet Nathan was sent to David. He had this clever way of breaking through to the, to the same David who had slayed a giant and defeated many, many enemies. And Nathan was smart. Here's what I mean. He could have gone up to David and said, you sinner. <laughs> he could have held up signs and protested and marched around in circles. He could have thrown stones at David. But instead, what did he do? He tells him a story. It's kind of a Jesus thing to do. Here's the story he tells, that Nathan tells. He says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Isn't that sweet? Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David hears this story. And he, like you right now, was very outraged. And he said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over. That's what you did. You paid for it four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Then, then came the words. There comes a point in every good comeback story when like somebody holds up a mirror and reveals the truth, right? That's how the comeback begins. Nathan, the prophet says to David, you are the man. What Nathan was saying to David was an accusation. Like, you're the guy who steals all that the poor neighbor has and consumes it. As a king in the ancient Mideast, David had many, many wives. Uriah had just one, and David took her as his own. You are the man, David. Now, back in the 1990s, when we used the phrase, you are the man, it meant something completely different. And there are some of us, some, some of us here in this room who are still trying to hold on to it in hopes that it will be the thing that makes a comeback. But um, it was used as a term of endearment, usually between dudes who were talking to each other. <laughs> uh, you know, you, walk, you encounter another guy and you're like, hey man, you're the man. That, that's how we said it back then. And then the other person would say, no, you're the man. And it's like meant to build them up. And they're like, you are the, the man. I had a friend one time slip me a piece of paper 20 years ago in church, and he said, I found a place in the Bible that references you, Mark. So I opened it up, and it said 2 Samuel 12, 7. And so I looked it up, and it said, you are the man. <laughs> and at first I was like, yeah. And then like the knee-jerk reaction is you, you give it back, you know, so I wouldn't say you are the man. But then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what's the context of this? <laughs> let's, let's like read what's going on here in the story. <laughs> my, my friend didn't mean for this to happen, but I pondered it actually for a minute. 
I ponder it still today. I knew that I didn't have adultery and murder on my list of sins, but I was just as likely at times to ignore the call to go exactly where God wanted me to go. I was just as susceptible to growing comfortable with the position that I had acquired in my life. And I was figuring that my warrior days were well behind me. And you know, I have responded to human desires in ways that left me scrambling to fix it on my own. This isn't just about adultery. It isn't just about murder. It's about the condition of the heart that leads us to stumble. Here's what we do. We'll say, well, I deserve it. I deserve that. You don't know what I've been through. Just let me have this. I'm the king of my life. And that's why I would love to have some Nathans around me. Would you love to have some Nathans around you holding up a mirror? Someone just to hold it up in front of me and just, and just say what I need to hear with love and compassion. You are the man. So David hears from God in this moment, and it's not all rosy. In the same way, the judgment of the rich man in Nathan's story was to give up four lambs in response to his sin, David would eventually lose four of his sons. Now, the you are the man moment, when Nathan said to David, you are the man, it broke a pattern. You know, we get stuck sometimes, like stuck in what it seems like it works, even though it doesn't really work at all. And we just kind of stay in that. You're the man led David to speak six words that make all the difference in the story. It leads to the comeback. A six word comeback is for David, I have sinned against the Lord. It took all of that. It took the story. It took the Nathan holding up a mirror in front of him. It took Nathan being direct and saying, you are the man. But then David has a six word response. And this is the moment that the comeback begins. I have sinned against the Lord. He was at the low, uh, low point of his life. Now, when I say those words, I wanna move quickly on past them because that's what we do in our, in our own lives, you know, right? I have sinned against the Lord, let's move on. <laughs> I have sinned against the Lord, let's, let's move past this. But if we could just kind of leave them on the screen for, for a minute more, because it is the turnaround point for your comeback. See, immediately, immediately after David said those words, Nathan pronounces that David's sins are forgiven. I wonder if the taste of those words had left David's mouth before he was able to receive the forgiveness that Nathan pronounced for him. David is allowed to live and to be restored, and he receives grace from God. Eventually, he and Bathsheba would have another son. His name was Solomon. And Solomon would build a temple where the Ark of the Covenant that we talked about last week, the, presence of, the signs of the presence of God, would reside in the temple that Solomon, their son, built. So here's what God does. Out of, the, out of that time came a period of peace. God took all those terrible ingredients of this messy, messy story. I didn't even share it all with you. Go and read it yourself. God takes all this and he makes something beautiful. So, so far we have learned from David's story that the space where sin creeps in is often the place where we were not meant to be. The space where sin creeps in is often the place where we were not intended to be. And then when we get to that place, sin grows more sin. We try to cover up sin. 
which if you've ever, if you can like process that in your life, it leads to more sin, which actually leads to death. But grace grows grace. It does not cover over sin. It cleanses the sin, which leads to life. In other words, there is nothing you can do all on your own to compensate for or erase your sin. You can try to make things right. And there are always actions that you can take to improve things, but those actions ought to be a response to grace and not meant to cover up your sin. So by tracing the path of sin, like we did through David's story, we can actually begin to repent earlier in the story. Like when we find ourselves on the roof, repent on the roof, not at the, not at the reading of your verdict. The best moment for repentance is when you realize that you're in the wrong place. You can start to say, wait, 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 what, what am I doing here? Why am I even in this place? This is not gonna lead to a good thing. One of the teachers in my life reminds me, you will, you will get lost too. You know, it's easy, like we read stories of David and this deep sin and we're like, what a, what a sinner, right? But you'll get lost too. Everyone gets lost for a while, but failure doesn't have to be final. Repent means to turn around and gaze at the goodness of God. So what does David do after he receives this forgiveness that Nathan announces to him? It says, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He worshiped. And what I would want for us is maybe it could just be imagined as as one motion, right? Turning away from a self-centered life and towards God and worship. It's like the lifeblood of any comeback. So if you're feeling lost, right now. If, you're, if you have, have a feeling that you're just not standing where you're supposed to be standing right now, look for a Nathan in your life. Repent. Recognize where you are and turn back to God. It is not too late. If God can offer grace to a man like David, he can forgive you and he can forgive me. I'm in need of forgiveness. We can have a comeback, church. From wherever wherever it is we're coming back from, we can come back to God together. So I'm gonna invite you to to pray with me. It's gonna be a a prayer that would would resonate with David's experience. And if these words are true for you, say them in your heart as well. Let's pray. Oh God, I have sinned against you. Oh God, thank you for your grace, for the forgiveness I do not deserve. My life is yours, Jesus. I give it to you. I turn it over to you. All of it. The the messiness, the things that I, I just can't say out loud. God, I give them to you now. And bring me all the way back, God, and into the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.